Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Ben Marsh. I am the student director here at Shepherd's Gate. Uh, and I have the privilege of sharing with you from God's Word this morning. As we begin our journey this Holy Week, as you just heard, Holy Week refers to this week, this last week of Jesus' earthly ministry as we head towards Easter, uh, before the, you know, just spoiler alert, the resurrection and all that. And, and this, this week, uh, we're, we're asking this question. Uh, and you might ask yourself this question, maybe, maybe even today after you go home. You're going to, from, from church, you might say, was it, was it worth it? Go ahead, turn to your neighbor what, and ask him, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Because this is what we're going to go through this week, and we're evaluating the life of Jesus this week and seeing, was it worth today the risk? And then Thursday, was it worth the humiliation? And then was it worth the pain? And then hopefully landing that spot of you, where in fact, you were worth it. And today, maybe you're not familiar with this story, but we're going to become a little bit more familiar with it as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and that there was risk associated, not only for himself, but for his disciples as they head into the city of Jerusalem. And before we dig too deep into that idea, we really have to stop and evaluate, well, what, what kind of risk are we talking about? Or what, just very simply, right, what, what is risk in general? And so we're going to function with this definition for the day, is that risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of injury or loss. And there's, of course, a negative connotation with that, that you're going to expose yourself, that you could be hurt, you could be injured, you could lose something, you could lose finances, you could lose a relationship, but why would you do such a thing unless there was something to be gained? So then, even on top of that, we have to uh, evaluate the fact that, that nothing ventured, nothing gained. That if you were going to risk, you're risking for a reason, because you truly believe that the result, the potential result that could come from that risk would have a greater return than what you are risking. That it would truly be worth it. So we can look at just a couple of simple examples of this. And you can tell me or you can just tell yourself, hey, do you think this is worth it? Like this. Is that worth it? Maybe not for you, but for Felipe, I think it was in 74, maybe it was 76, uh, he was in a diner and he saw that they were building these things called the Twin Towers and he thought to himself, I should tightrope walk between those. And so at least for him, he thought he was worth it until a stiff breeze came along and I'm just kidding. No, he made it. He was fine. I was just checking to see if you're listening. But he walked back and forth for 45 minutes, and he was all right, but he was arrested after the fact. So for him, it was worth it. For you, maybe not. What about this? This is maybe a little bit more familiar. It, if you have an investment, you, maybe you uh, are heavily invested right now. Maybe you're getting your, dipping your toes into things right now. It, maybe if it's just a little bit of your finances, maybe that's worth it, right? Because there's not really anything that you're really risking. But if it's your livelihood, if it's to keep the lights on, then then there's a greater sense of risk, but maybe there's a greater sense of return on those things. The reality is that no matter what it is that you're risking, and we all risk things every single day, it can feel like it's a gamble, like you're betting on the outcome of it. And the more that you wager, the more that you venture, the more that you hope that there's some sort of return. A really simple one, and I'm going to spare you from the video and audio, but just this last week, a friend of mine and my wife Stephanie uh, texted her a video uh, all the way back of when we were in high school. And we were in the back of a, uh, the, the track bus and we were sharing headphones. This is when headphones were tethered together and they didn't cost $300. And so I was sitting next to her and we we're being goofy and singing a song at the top of our lungs, annoying everybody else in the bus. And the reason that that was risky was earlier that day, I had worked up just enough courage to ask this girl that I was sitting next to in some classes, I said, hey, would you like to sit next to me on the bus? 
and week after week, I asked her to sit next to me on the bus. And now, return on investment. We've been happily married for 10 years and are expecting our third son. So the wager is worth it. And for you, I imagine you can relate to that, right? There, there are things every single day, just simply driving here today, there is a risk. But we're talking about calculated risks, risks where you know you're putting something out there. You're consciously laying something on the line, hoping for a return on that investment. And so as we evaluate Jesus and his disciples, we ask this question, what was it that Jesus was risking, or what was it that the disciples were risking? I mean, up until this point, we recognize that when Jesus went and asked his disciples to follow him, that they laid down everything that they laid down fishing nets, that they left relationships, that they left the community that they grew up in and the status that they had. They laid down everything so that they could follow him. But heading into Jerusalem meant something even deeper and even riskier. As we read in Mark chapter 10, it says, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished. They were surprised by this. And while those who followed were afraid, Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen. So it begs the question, why, why was this an amazing thing? Why was this an astonishing and fear-inducing thing for them? Well, really simply, we see that much of Jesus' ministry didn't take place in the region of Judea, which surrounds the city of Jerusalem. And there's a reason for that. It was around the Sea of Galilee, and any time that he went to Judea, this is the response that they got. Jesus tells his disciples, let's go back to Judea. This is when he's going back for his friend Lazarus. And they said, but Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews, they tried to stone you, and yet you are going? They know by going to the region of Judea, but even more specifically, the city of Jerusalem, there are religious officials that want to kill Jesus. And then we actually see this response. I didn't, this has actually surprised me. This doesn't sound like our Thomas that we know, doubting Thomas. Thomas's response to this was, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him, that they, are, that they know what they're getting themselves into, that there are religious officials, that there are those that do not like Jesus and the ministry that he is leading at that time and what he's teaching. They hate him so much, they, they want him dead. And so for the disciples to hear Jesus say, let's go into Jerusalem, this is what we're, go what we're going to do is, not only did you lay down your livelihood in, in fishing or being a tax collector. Not only did you leave your father and mother and brothers, not only did you leave what was familiar, but we're headed into the city and you might die. You might experience a greater loss than you could imagine just to simply follow him. The disciples knew that. And then we have to ask, well, well what was Jesus risking at this point? I mean, he's God. He, he knows what's happening, right? He's, he's not coming in blind to this thing. We see it all over the Gospels that he knew exactly what he was going to face. In the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 26, verses 1 and 2, it says, when Jesus has finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And then even beyond that, he said, the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. That they planned secretly, that they knew they had to get him, but they weren't willing to risk trying to arrest Jesus in the daylight. Because that might cost them their lives. There might be a riot. They might be killed. People might turn on them. But they were willing to risk finding Jesus in secret, arresting him, killing him, because they didn't want him uh, as, a, a, as a leader, as a rabbi at that time. 
And what was amazing to me as I was exploring this is that in every gospel, Jesus is telling his disciples directly what's going to happen, that he's going to die, that he was going to suffer, how it was going to happen, by whose hands, and that this is the disciples' response, that they didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. That, the, that Jesus was going there to die. They knew that there was some risk, but unlike Jesus, Jesus who knew exactly how he was going to die, how he was headed into this city, on that triumphal entry, he knew all the suffering that he was going to endure. The disciples were clueless to it. And that is us still to this day, that we are clueless to sometimes what God is calling us into. We can look at elsewhere in the Bible at other examples of where God calls, not just the disciples, not just during Holy Week, but where does he call his people, his followers, to risk things for him? Here's a few examples uh, that we can see even in the Old Testament. You might not be familiar uh, with this story, but let me just share it with you a little bit. This is uh, the story of Esther. It's a fantastic book. It's an amazing story. That Esther was of Jewish heritage and that she found herself in a very prominent, very uh, high status position as she was the king, or the, the king's wife. She, she was the queen of Persia. And she was in that position because God had placed her there, because there was a scheme to exterminate and kill all the Jewish people. And so that came to light, and someone came and told Esther what the plan was, and Esther's response at that time was, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can go tell the king not to do this, because if I simply go into the presence of the king, and I wasn't asked to be there, he could kill me for it. If he doesn't touch his golden scepter, which says that you may come forward and have a request, then she could have been killed. And who she was talking to at the time said, okay, if you are not willing to step forward, if you're not willing to risk your life in this instance, then guess what? God will raise up somebody else. And then her response to that was amazing was, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. He could kill her for this. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. And through the boldness of Esther, she was able to save the lives of an entire nation. We also see it elsewhere in Scripture that the, one of the more unsung heroes is Caleb. There's Caleb and Joshua. We hear a lot about Joshua, the one who follows Moses in the leadership of the nation of Israel. But Caleb and Joshua, along with 10 others, so a total of 12, head into the promised land before the Israelites go to take possession of it. And they're evaluating the promised land to see how good it is and can they take possession of it. And when they come back, the 10 other spies are giving a report. And the report sounds all right. Yes, it's a beautiful land. It has all of these things that were promised of us. And then it gets down to, but do you think you can take possession of it? And they see all the other people that are in the land that was promised, and they say, no way. And then Caleb, not Joshua, Caleb's response was this. Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. This is amazing, bold proclamation that he knows that they can do it, but more so than that, behind that is the fact that they know that his God has promised that land to his, those people, and that God will go before them and take that land. But unfortunately, in the case of those spies, and at that time, they spread a bad report among everyone that said, no, yes, the land is good, but the people are too big and we can't overtake it. And so that raises the question, what happens then? If God's calling you to risk something and you don't risk it, at least in the case of these spies in the nation of Israel, 
It cost them 40 years, and it cost them an entire generation who was on the precipice of stepping into what God has promised them, but they weren't willing to take the next step forward, and so they didn't get to take possession of it. God was still faithful and fulfilled his promise to those people and to Caleb and to Joshua who were willing to risk their lives and were willing to trust in God for what he said. But for everybody else that doubted and wasn't willing to take the risk of laying more down, of actually trusting in God at what he said, they weren't willing, or they weren't willing, so they weren't able to enjoy what was promised to them. And those are a couple of Old Testament examples. And of course, we have the examples of the disciples during this holy week in the ministry of Jesus. But what about us today? What about Christians after the fact that we know the story of Jesus? Are we still called to risk things? We don't have to look any further than the example of Paul. That he had a life as a leader, and he was prominent, and he was persecuting the church. And after having an encounter with Jesus and his heart changed, he set aside everything. And even Jesus told him, I will show you how much you have to suffer for my name's sake. And he did suffer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he begins to list all of the things that he suffered up until that point, and there was even more following this. Paul says, this is what he suffered for Jesus five times. I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in open sea and have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But if you were to ask Paul, was it worth it? he would certainly say it was worth it. If you were to ask Esther or Caleb or Joshua, was it worth it? Any of the heroes of faith, it was most certainly worth it for them. And still to this day, we are called to risk things. What is it that we are called as Christians to risk? Because it's, it's something that we receive, this gift of faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive freely, but then what is our response supposed to be to that free gift? Is God calling you to lay down something? I think it's interesting to look at the fact of that, that Holy Week that people were willing to lay something down. They were willing to praise Jesus because they thought this was a military leader that had come to overthrow the Roman government. They were willing to praise him for all the things that, that he was able to do for them. They were willing to lay down palm branches and cloaks and praise him. But even the disciples, those that were closest to him, and all those that were praising him on Sunday were nowhere to be found on Friday. But this is what God has called us. This is what God has called me and you to in our Christian life. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be a follower of me and not simply just a fan that praises me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever wants to lose their life for me will save it. Yet we must be willing as Christians not only to praise Jesus, but to lay things down and lay down more than palm branches, more than lay down praise, more than lay down just simply an hour a week, more than laying down your cloak, but actually picking up your cross. And if you're wondering, well, what does that mean, Ben? What does it mean for me to pick up my cross? Well, it means that it's going to be for Jesus, it's not your, for yourself. And if you're evaluating if something that you're in your life right now is that you're risking or venturing, is it for you or for Jesus? You have to look at the end result. 
would it mean if you got what you wanted in that situation where you're risking? Does your kingdom expand or does his? So what is God calling you to risk? What is God calling you to risk for him? Does it mean that you need to be able to risk a relationship to have a hard conversation that you know that you need to have? Does it mean risking a career path? Does it mean risking to spend more time with your family and not taking a promotion so you can be there and more present and raise your children in the faith? Does it mean risking your finances and setting more aside for him? Does it mean risking actually stepping into a leadership role that makes you totally uncomfortable, but you know God's laid it on your heart and prompted you that where you're uncomfortable is where he's at work and that you can release that control and trust him for the end result? For many of us, myself included, if I'm asked that question, what have you risked for your faith? You might have to search through your mind and go, what really have I risked? This has been maybe a little bit too comfortable. I mean, that became very apparent for me. My first church, we were working with our students through a series of other religions as we were teaching students on the other teachings of other religions. And within our own congregation, we discovered that we had a few people that had been raised in other religions. And one in particular was actually raised in the Muslim faith and came from a family that all came from the Muslim faith. Yet, actually, just within the last year, he had come to understand the Bible, the scripture, the gospel. He understood who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. And because of that, he declared Jesus his Lord. He converted to Christianity. And for him, he had a wager. Was it going to be worth it for him? Because he would no longer talk to any of his family members again. And the only correspondence that he would get from his father and from his uncles would be death threats, threatening his life because he had trusted in Jesus as his Lord. And so as I look at that and evaluate that, it's like, am I, am I called to that? I, I am called to that same extent, but I'm not called to that same situation. And so for you this morning, what is it that God's calling you to risk for him? that you might be a place in this world, that you'd be willing to risk something that it would reward someone else, that you'd be willing to lay down a little bit of your life, a little bit more of your life, that his kingdom would break through in someone else's life, that his gospel could spread even further. And please hear this. This isn't Jesus did this for you, he risked things for you, and so now you better risk things. This is a gift that we have to work alongside with Jesus, that he first set the example for us. He first gave us the footsteps that we are to follow in, that he was willing to lay down his life for us, and that we receive his forgiveness freely, and now we have the opportunity to respond to him as an overflow of being connected to the one that loved you enough to say that you were worth it. Now you have the opportunity to say thank you to him with your life by laying down more and more and not being complacent with where you're currently at, but trusting that God is calling you to more. And what would it look like in this church, in this community, if we all just gave Jesus a little bit more, a little bit more, and we're willing to risk more, what he would do, because we know this to be true, God promises that you're going to receive more and more in heaven and in eternity for the things that you're willing to risk in this world. So my prayer for us today is that we be willing to lift our eyes from the things of this world that we become so entangled with and so enthralled with and so worried about, the things that we need to risk on a daily basis. And go to God and ask him, what is it that you're asking of me? What is it that you want me to lay down? And what is the cross that you're asking me to pick up? Let's go ahead and go to prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, thank you. God, thank you for the fact that you are willing to step into human flesh, that you are willing to come 
to this earth in such a humble way, God, that you were willing to minister to us and to step into the streets of Jerusalem and head into Holy Week knowing full well everything that you were willing to risk, the pain, the suffering, the loss, and even your death, God. God, let our hearts be able to understand the depth of your love towards us, that we might reflect that love to the world and that we might be able to respond to the risk that you've taken on us, that we might risk our lives, lay down our lives, that your kingdom might expand here in this church and community and world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.